This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 40. The best readiness app you have is yourself. Yeah. Building a, a, a strong enough relationship with a player that he'll be honest with you because for the most part, the strength coach doesn't control playing time, doesn't right. control scholarships, doesn't control money. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Scott Caulfield. Excited today to introduce my next guest. He is a longtime NSCA coach and the most decorated strength and conditioning coach in NSCA history as the only winner of the College and Professional Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year Awards, Joe Ken, Strength and Conditioning Coach for the Carolina Panthers. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you having me, and hopefully we can have some fun today. Yeah, glad we finally finally got you in here because after uh, I got all those podcasts done in Charlotte, I didn't want the, uh, the social media world cracking down on me after you had to, had to give me a little chirp on social media. Yeah, but we're all busy, people, man. So people don't understand how busy you are right when you're down the street. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of people that I respect that are within the drives away, and I see them maybe once every six months. So right. it's a tough deal, but luckily today we got hooked up, and uh, see what we got. Yeah, it's crazy. And we're here uh, in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine, so had a big uh, NFL award dinner last night, and uh, we snuck out some time, so we're excited to get you in here. But, um, I mean, you've done a little bit of everything in this profession over your 20 plus years um you've been a multiple state director for nsca why don't you talk a little bit i guess about you know kind of where where you first got introduced to the nsca where your career even first started well i think like anybody else you everybody at certain point in their lives going to figure out their window like some people find it out earlier than life, and some people find it out later. Like, uh, I have two sons. My youngest is pretty much dialed into exactly what he wanted. Uh, and he's the second year, first year of college, or just going in. He knew he was going to follow a coaching career. Uh, my oldest has traveled a different path, and it, take, it took him a little bit longer to find out that uh, he's more trade. He, he's better with his hands and, and doing things that I have no skills in so he's going back to school to learn a trade and you know and he's like oh I wish I would have done this five years ago when I left school the first time and and I'm like hey at least you found your spot some people never find it so I think for me the if you want to call it a bug the weightlifting bug obviously happened in high school we were one of the very first teams that had organized strength training our high school coach was very much ahead of the curve. And, you know, back then, the game has changed. The game is a lot more athletic, but the game of football back then, uh, I think strength had more value because there wasn't as much blitzing. There wasn't as much two-gap defense where zone blocking came into play. It was pretty much mono a mono. You know, one guy lined up against another. Back then, you couldn't use your hands extension as an offensive lineman yet. So, you know, strength training was important. And for someone with marginal athletic ability, you know, sometimes, oh, it's a very good football player. You can be a very good football player and not a very good athlete. So for me, it was definitely something I needed to to excel and succeed as as an athlete in high school. 
And it's probably the biggest reason why I was uh, able to put myself in a position to get a college scholarship. So I always attribute my high school coaches and the organization of a strength program to give me the opportunity to better myself as an athlete and teach you discipline about showing up on time and things that you don't really realize like anything else when you you hear back from former players man coach I didn't know what you were trying to do but now I get it and sometimes you didn't even know what you were trying to do until you start thinking about it like wow man man just think if I did that and I really didn't know what I was doing but now I know what I'm doing and I could have done that how much more of an impact you might have had on somebody so there's a lot you can learn from being in a weight room more so than just lifting weights and trying to be a better athlete but I, I pretty much knew when I was 19, which would have been my red shirt sophomore year in college, I was going to be a strength coach. We had a really good coach at the time, Joey Bullock at Wake. I've been hurt most of my career at that point in time. I've had, had uh, two major knee surgeries, so I spent almost my whole entire first three years of college football in a weight room rehabbing. I think I played five games in three years before I was finally healthy enough to make an impact on the field. And it was time to choose a major. I just felt myself just spending more and more time in there. And I enjoyed it. Like, even though it was, you know, I don't like people call it the grind. I don't like to call it grind because I enjoy it. Yeah. You know, I enjoy training. I enjoy going in the weight room. I enjoy watching other people lift. I mean, it's just part of, I enjoy that more than I like watching sports, uh, team sports. So it was time to choose a major. And at that point in time, Wake Forest was really changing some things up in a lot of their departments. And they had actually removed physical education from their list of majors that they offered at the school and replaced it with health and sports science, which, you know, the physical education major would have led you to a teaching option and you wind up being a PE teacher. But this was a little bit different and the name was cool, right? Like, right, oh, health and right. sports science, man, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. But you, but what we first learned right away is it wasn't, it wasn't PE anymore, which yeah. a lot of athletes after me on the football team were like oh we're gonna i said look man this isn't pe this yeah. is some real stuff and be taking yeah, and, 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 the, and the next and, thing you know they're yeah. they effed out that semester yeah. and they're changing their major and they're not repeating classes so and i was always a pretty decent student my dad made sure of that and you know so from there I started spending more time in the weight room now and studying stuff. And back then, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, man. Most of the things I studied was muscle and fitness. Yeah. You know, and then uh, through, a, through, a, through my mom, we, she knew a woman. And I, I wish I could remember the guy's name. And I think he wound up with one of the exploding and running the big personal training studios in New York. Golly, it'd be it'd be amazing. I would be I would love to remember this guy's name, but it was a my my mom cut his some relationship hair. She was a hairdresser, and I wanted to be a strength coach. And she said, "Well, you I think we need you to introduce you to this this guy." So me and my dad go into the city. We're from Long Island, so we were going to New York City, and this gentleman is personal training people. Like you hear a lot of these stories from New York, yeah. they start training people out of their lofts. Right. You know, maybe they had like a bow flex and some dumbbells, yeah. and they just start working yeah. with people. And he was actually the one that 
recommended me join the NSCA. Okay. So it became a, and again, I, to this day, it bothers me that I don't remember this, yeah. this gentleman's name because I'm, I don't know if it was, you know, I, and I don't want to say this out, you know, say it out loud and somebody, oh, that's not, I don't know if it was equinox. One of these major things, I know he yeah. was on the ground floor of it in New York yeah. City's personal training scene. So in 1986, I joined the NSCA with two years left of, of college. So what does that put me at, like 32-year member or something yeah. like that? Yeah. It's my 30th year of coaching, or I think I've entered my 30th year of coaching. So I was still a student at Wake when I became an NSCA student member, and that's when I started getting the NSCA journals. And, you know, I, you know, like me and you were just talking about how social media is kind of uh, – you know, people take it for what it's worth, and I try not to get into battles. I say a few things here and there, but um, you know, we always have fun about you know when you write, oh, we need authors, and I'm like, I, you know, because yeah. back then there was no references. Right. That was a pure right. coaching journal, and I I know now the NSA has that online coaching, but I just felt like, and I'll continue to feel like this. I understand everybody's reading different stuff, but. I'd like to just know somebody else's opinion or how they're doing something on their floor with no, you know, ancillary or, well, you know, we, the science, I just want to know what you're doing on the floor, Yeah. how you write your program, what's your split, you know, what made you choose this sets and rep patterns? Do you follow Prilipin's chart? Are you a standard, you know, three sets a guy? Yeah. I don't need to necessarily know where it all came from I'll find that's my job to find yeah. out yeah, yeah. like I always tell people when you read anything from me or you read anything from Louis Simmons or you read anything from Scott Caulfield or or Ronnie McKeefrey or any of anybody read between the lines yeah. because that's where you're going to have to find your true information right I mean as much as we can put something down on paper we're always going to miss something because there's just so much you can talk about yeah then there's only so much you can put on paper yeah, yeah. So I, I always know there's something missing, but that's, that's my job to find that. I don't need you to right. list where you got it. I, if I really, right. if you write something that like, you know, what is it, French contrast training, I need, if I don't know it, I need to look that up. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you're going to find that information somewhere else, or, or you're not going to go down the reference list. Yeah, I mean. The majority of the time to look up all those references. You're you going to reach out to the author and say, I want to talk to you more about exactly. this. Exactly. And that's where I think there's more value. And again, yeah. I'm not, like, I know people get on me, especially the more science rate guy, when I say stuff like I'm the research. I used to say that a while back. I kind of got off that, but, but I am. Yeah. Any coach is. Yeah. Every day you're in there, you're watching 30, 40, 50, 60, sometimes up to 100 athletes, depending if you're a multi-sport college strength coach. Right. You're, you're, you're researching every day what works and what doesn't. And because we don't have enough time to put it on paper and to get somebody to back it with some type of algorithm or test, it doesn't count. And that's why... Uh, you know, I talked to Lauren Landau about this. I talked to Ian Jeffries about this. And I think some people have talked about, you know, when they start talking about evidence-based and stuff like that. Well, when is athlete feedback going to count? Right. That's right. that's like when it, when a guy comes to you and says, coach, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. This is the benefit I got from this. This is what I don't think I got from that. That That's, that's research. That yeah. counts. And that, I, I think when you live on the floor like we do, that matters. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so 
that that was a good exposure to me because most of the articles in in that era were just strength coaches writing about their program so now you start to learn about programming so I finished college. I'm not going to be an NFL player because I was considered an NFL medical reject, and that was okay. I, that, I kind of knew there was a, probably a shot of that. So I, I know I want to coach, so you got to look for a job. I'm getting married, so I got a lot of things going on. Fortunately for us, uh, a friend of mine who was a GA at Wake got a head football job at a prep school that he had played at in, in Florida, Pinecrest Prep. And they were looking for football coaches, but also married couples to work the dorms as a dorm supervisor. Because I would have no teaching responsibilities. So fortunately for me, a job opened up right when I was all this was going down. And my first job was at Pinecrest Prep in 1989. And it was a little nerve-wracking because here you are, you've kind of put all your, you know, rocks and stones in one basket. And now I'm going down there, driving down to coach spring football, and you're thinking, okay, man, you wanted to be a coach. What happens if you can't coach? Right, right. (laughs) You know, there's a little anxiety now. You've kind of set yourself up for, hey, man, I'm going to be a coach, and this is what I want, you know. So I go out there the first day of spring ball because I had to coach on the field also. And it worked. I mean, my style and my approach, uh, probably a little rough around the edges for the type of student athlete that we had at Pinecrest, but definitely those, those kids listened. They bought into what I was trying to teach them and how we were going to get things done. They worked extremely hard. I'll always be grateful to Keith for giving me a shot. And that kind of took off from there. I knew I knew I didn't want to coach on the grass. Like I knew, like I had studied enough of watching the coaches that, that I respected that coached me at Wake to realize that there was just something about coaching a sport that I didn't necessarily want to get involved with. Did you know at that time that there was a such thing as a strength and conditioning coach? Well, that was just starting. Like our, our, you know, our guy was a full-time strength and conditioning coach. There was no slash. Uh, This was about 1984. So, you know, 79 was when the NSCA, I believe, first started. So strength and conditioning coaches on a whole were just starting to find their way. Like Rick Hughley was actually the first strength coach at – Wake Forest and he went to uh, UW I don't know if there was someone in between Rick but uh, my strength coach Joey Bullock actually went to school there and it was a little different back there like Joey's background was he was a they hired him he was managing a Nautilus fitness center in a small town in North Carolina and next thing you know he's the head strength coach at Wake Forest University and he was there 10 plus years okay pretty close yeah. somewhere in that area before he uh, moved on so yeah i did know and that's when i was like wait man i can coach and don't have to coach ball because you know at first you're thinking all right i'm just going to be a ball coach and yeah. you know or you go to a place like wake forest with its academic background you think you're going to do something in business or something like that and then you wind right. up taking a couple of those courses and realizing yeah i don't really want to do this yeah. so yeah i knew and I just had, you know, I love the, I just love being in the weight room. Like there's just, it's just a good place. Yeah. I think it's cool. And 
and it, it got to the point where the preparation because still then you know no no one understood the yearly plan of training yet they're right, just like right, right. hey we'll do all this and then in season you kind of and i trained a lot during the season but it was you know we i was making stuff up yeah. i mean we were just trying to figure out what's the best way to do it and that was like a dis, that was a disappointment. And I still think as as well as we've improved as as professionals in in season training, you, there's still the length of the season, the fact of the violence of some sports and the competitiveness of other sports and the travel of other sports. I think people are doing a great job of what I would call progressively retaining and sometimes even exceeding things during the season because yeah. it is the longest period of uninterrupted training you have right, regardless right. of calendar, whether whatever whatever level you're at. Yep. The end season you is the one time there. you've got yeah. them. Yeah. It's like, I want to go to a bowl game. I get yeah. four more weeks with them. I yeah. want to go to the playoffs. I get this many more weeks yeah. with them. So you can't look at it from like, oh, like, a, uh, like the sport. Oh, well, we just need to maintain. You cannot maintain that long yeah. if you go into that that thought process too early in the season you're going to almost get into a f- effect of detraining because yeah. then you keep reducing volumes because you think oh we're going right. longer right, right. you you got to play that game of a lot of evaluation with your eyes as a as a coach yeah. in this day and age utilizing gps technologies and just general readiness things of whether it's a questionnaire or however you want to do it or just talk like my think you know and i believe this the best readiness app you have is yourself yeah building a, a, a strong enough relationship with a player that he'll be honest with you because for the most part the strength coach doesn't control playing time doesn't right. control scholarships doesn't control money it, it, it it's a different it's a different role so yeah. there's a different way an athlete's going to respond to yeah. you than possibly a coach who's dictating playing time and or the fact if he remains on scholarship yeah. or not. And a lot of the times you're spending more time with those guys than some of the sport coaches. A lot of times. Yeah. I mean, the college, I mean, the college guys for sure, even yeah. with some of the new rules. I mean, it's college strength and conditioning coaches, you know, having been there for 19 years and then watching even now more with the way recruiting's changed. It's just, it's it's they're starting to get compensated. I still think, you know, we're we can't be satisfied. Yeah. Because of the role we're in, we should be continue to strive to to look at coordinators and what they're doing and how they're fit in. Because the, you know, and I would say this, even if I was looking to go back to college, if that ever happened, if I ever needed to, you can't, you know, college coaches continue to talk about how the strength coach is the most important hire. Yeah. But yet want to, I don't want to say nickel and dime anymore because the money is <coughs> tremendously yeah. improved since I left. But then reward them if they're the most important hire. Right. You know, if you're, and I think there's several coaches, one in particular I know are pretty even with what the coordinators make at their universities. So I, I look at it from, okay, we're doing such a great job and coaches are understanding that this this position has value. But... If even if I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life, but and I'm the 11th paid assistant coach, yeah. how am I the most important? Yeah. Because in the end, don't right. let anyone tell you it's not about money. And I'm not telling you yeah. to chase money. I don't believe it. I think money comes to you yeah. through your your efforts and through your commitment to your programming and to your team and to how much you care. But if that's the case and you're going to continue to promote that, 
Yeah. You have to continue to see these these positions climb. Like there's yeah. several, you know, and I think in some ways there's good things now that USA Today po- posts everybody's salaries. Right. I'm, I'm sure uh, individually some guys may not like that. I don't know if I would like to. Right. But it helps to see the growth. Yep. But like I said, look at the strength coach's yeah. salaries and then look at the assistant coach's salaries yeah. from the same newspaper. Right. And these coordinators are still doubling some of these yeah. strength coaches. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and again, because we started so low, right. it looks like we've done such a great job. Yeah. But I go back to it's, it's all error related. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we heard... It might have been Boyd. I can't remember the first six-figure strength coach, and everybody's like, "Wow, yeah, you know, we can make six figures being a strength coach." Who would have ever thought, you know? Because you know, everybody back then said, "No, oh, it's not about the money." You know, right, it's a, right. I just love what I do, and, and I'm yeah, okay. But you sure. also need to get paid for what your value yeah. is. So yeah. it's a the the dynamic of the collegiate strength and conditioning coach is tremendously different. Than professional sports. I mean, it's just different. There's yeah. different rules. There's different commitments. Yeah. Uh, you're dealing with a lot more people. Right. There's a lot of things that that factor in. And again, how you utilize. I mean, yeah. everybody's utilized difference. And and for as good as the high end Power Five strength coaches make, when you look at that sheet on USA Today and you start looking down at the other conferences, right. uh, the money has still gotten better, but the yeah. the gap is huge. Yeah. is huge. Yeah. I mean, so it's a it's an interesting dynamic yeah. for sure you mentioned um being you know sometimes the strength coach needs to be the smartest person in that room to talk a little bit because uh, you and i talked about this before but you know what you're talking about when you're saying that yeah i don't i don't mean that to degrade anyone first and i don't mean that from because i've said this now for at least five years out loud yeah you've been talking about it at a conference yeah. i remember um, I don't like to say, um, my thought process with that is, and it has nothing to do with continuing education. Like I'm not saying, Oh, I know everything. If you know me, you know exactly what I know and I know exactly what I don't know. And I'm not afraid to tell you I have go-to people. I mean, you can talk to Brandon Marcello who educates me on things that I have no clue of. Hell, we just got educated today. Yeah. Uh, on a kettlebell symposium, like, basic stuff that I probably should know. Right. Right. <laughs> like just basic movement things that we were exposed to today that one exposed us as non-athletes but yeah. you know like man I should I should why am why aren't I why aren't I doing this? Yeah. When I say that when when I say the strength coach one we have to be chameleons, we have to be the most adaptable person in the building, but we also have to be at times the smartest person in the room. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of I know more than you, I mean that when you're in the room with a bunch of sport coaches, their their selfishness is different than your selfishness. And what you have to be is you have to be the one that has the athlete's interest first, not your own. Like you you can't be the one fighting for more weight room time if they're already over taxed in everything else they're doing you have to be the one who's smart enough to realize we have to do right by the athlete 
regardless of what we think the model looks like. (laughs) Like whether it's me adding sets and reps because we don't think they're strong enough or you adding plays because you don't think we're getting enough preparation. In the end, can the athlete handle this? And a lot of times, that's a lot of times we have to be the ones that take care of that because in some respects, that's our job, right? Right. To protect the athlete, whether through uh, training modalities or our knowledge, right. what's in the best influence of them. So it has nothing to do with, I know more than you. It has more to do with the common sense approach of, hey, it all sounds good, but can these dudes handle this? Right. Right. Can these, can this, you know, can they handle what we're trying to ask them to do? Because if they're not, then we're only looking at, you know, negative effects and negative outcomes yeah. in the long run. And, and how do you, how do you do that though with the sport coaches? Like, it's hard. How, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's really hard because you could alienate yourself from it because you never know how an individual coach is going to respond to your, you know, your opinion or recommendation. And, right. and the one thing that I've learned and it's hard because I am opinionated and that's why, like I tell people, you got to know when to hold them. Yeah. <laughs> you got to know when to fold them and you got to know when to go all in. Yeah. I think a lot of it becomes more so the ability to develop your relationship as the catalyst with the head coach. Yeah. Like somebody that can, he can count on that will give him a perspective that's going to look different than a football than the sport coaches, assistant yeah. sport coach. I'm not just, I don't want to just single out football because I worked 20, over 22 sports in my career. I've been in women's basketball meetings. I've been in men's yeah. tennis meetings. I've been in track and field meetings. And, and it's still the same. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you oversee all of the athletes. A position group sees his specific 15 or nine or, you know, I'm the throw coach. Yeah. Uh, I'm the jump coach or, you know, I'm, I'm assistant basketball coach. I'm in, I'm the big coach. I'm the guard. I'm the guard coach. You know, I'm the post player coach. I'm the wing coach. I'm the center coach. I mean, it gets more specific yeah. as we go. So it's a fine line because you can, you know, like uh, rubbing is racing. You can rattle, yeah. you can rough, you can ruffle some feathers and yeah. uh, relationships can be splintered. And, but I think that it's imperative that some way or another, when when the time comes that you're prepared i think that's the big thing is um knowing your role and i learned a lot of this from coach rivera just a lot of things what he talks about to our teams in 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 team meetings but you got to know your role and you got to manage your expectations i mean i'm not saying you have to and i talked about this this year at at the nsca you just i'm not telling you not to have ex ex know high level goals for yourself and what you'd like to accomplish but you know be the best of who you are where you are right now (laughs) continue to strive to understand that the better job you do today is going to definitely affect your growth and your abilities to get a job you may aspire to tomorrow right right but you also have to know that the job you have today has certain limitations (laughs) sure and you cannot you know when when those when those limitations start to get the best of you then it may be time to either <clears throat> sit down and have conversations or find a opportunity 
outside the organization or the university you're at. I mean, that's yeah. that's coaching, and that's that's just you progressing as a yeah. as a person. Yeah. I think sometimes you, um, it's a it's tough. I mean, yeah. let's not say there's nothing easy of it, and there's nothing to say that. And I'm not telling you. And I always say I reserve the right to be wrong. I don't right. I don't have right. all the answers, man. Yeah. But I've done it a long time. I've, for some reason, I'm still around. Right. So right, right. Uh, something's being sustainable. Yeah. And you've, you know, you talked about whatever, knowing what you don't know. And I know you've talked about this, so I know you can talk to us about this, but like hiring people that's, that fill the gaps that you have maybe in your style. You're not going to hire three Joe Kens, look, you know. Uh, coach, coach alikes. You're gonna hire people that fill those gaps, and how are, how are you doing that as a coach, identifying weaknesses and then, you know, filling them in with people who satisfy that. Yeah, that's just being confident in who you are first. Like, I know there's oh well, you know, I want to bring. I mean, I don't, some people are afraid to say that I don't know that. Yeah. I'm not. I, I I'm a. Uh, let's just face it. I'm an old. I know people that like to hear old school, traditional. I'm a weight guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. Watch me walk in the room. Right. I know what I'm good at. I think I'm really good at program design. I think I'm really good at watching and organizing movements in a creative pattern that was atypical to the normal templates when I first created the tier system. Yeah. I think I do a pretty solid job in conditioning based training, like interval training and putting together a metabolic agility circuits of programmed agilities, how to implement pattern running and stuff like that. I think we've done a pretty good job in the last few years of utilizing some of our GPS yardages to know how to develop some of that better. But, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a sprint coach. So I'm always going to need somebody either on my staff or somebody I can call that that can help me with linear speed development, especially when we were on the college model. We, you know, we had Martin Rooney come out and I've, developed a relationship with Martin when it came to some of our linear stuff. I mean, I can demo a large majority of the lifts in the weight room, but I'm not going to be able to, I'm not a plyo guy. I'm, I need somebody with that type of background, whether it's through track and field or an athleticism that's able to demonstrate these movements in a properly competent manner for our athletes. Well, I know nutrition, but I'm the first one to tell you, man, I love the cheat meal. So who you got to have quality nutritionists. There's only, I think every here, here's the problem. Not a problem. I shouldn't say it's a problem. The Jack of all trades, master of none stuff that sometimes gets caught up with strength coaching. We do need to know enough about nutrition, but it's like, you know, enough to be dangerous. That's, that's when you have to know, okay, I know enough here. If I go any further, I'm probably going to make something up. And if I get caught in this BS, now I lose all credibility. It's just like I was talking to somebody the other day about like training athletes versus training weightlifters or powerlifters. And I, and I told him, I said, look, I'm, I'm competent in my skills because strength is we, we pull from different 
disciplines of strength to create an athletic-based strength model. You know, we have to look at the Olympic lifting protocols. We have to look at power lifting. We even have to look at bodybuilding stuff from a lean body mass development and volume training. And nowadays, strongman has come into effect. How to utilize some of those event type things to build some conditioning models. And But going back to knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know is... I, I'm a, I was a class two power lifter. My numbers were 650 squat, 420 competition bench, and a 611 deadlift. I, I, I believe my capabilities, if I were a powerlifting coach, couldn't get you into that 650 to 700 squat. 425 to 455 bench and then a 650 maybe maybe a 700 deadlift based off of my capabilities and my knowledge of powerlifting but when I get you to that point you are going to have to go to somebody who is a powerlifting coach because they've and people who've coached thousand pound squatters, 800 pound benchers, because they understand a different loading parameter, a different set and rep and percentage schemes that get guys to those levels. Because there's going to be volume changes with that because now tonnage Ton of, total tonnage comes into play. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, you know, it's it's just an interesting dynamic. Weightlifting, I could probably get you to a state to a state meet. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I'm done with you. I mean, I, I have no. You have to go to a better coach. Right. You 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 know. Now you want to you want to try to be a professional athlete. I'm your guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I have enough knowledge in that whole composite base of what right. it takes from speed, agility, yeah. and and people may use you know more more refined terminology than me. But you know, we we've heard a lot about Q, and I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to keep it as, as vanilla as I can. Like I keep looking at it as how, how, simp- how much simpler can I make it for this athlete so that all they have to do is just go out there and just not just go. Right. Just give me an honest effort. Yeah, right. I'll figure out the easiest way to get things through to you, yeah. find the easiest <laughs> teaching cues, find find things that are relevant to you and your sport yeah. that I can go back to you and explain it from a football or yeah, a basketball yeah, yeah. or a track and field sense on how this yeah. movement should feel compared to, you know, like a squatting versus coming out of your stance. Yep. Like a, like sitting on a box, you can't relax because you can't relax when you're loaded in your stance. You have yeah. to be rigid. Yeah. There's just certain things like that. Thinking about you when you're on the box, you're loading. Yeah. Your your body's rigid. You're you're contracting the hamstrings, yeah. the glutes, the erectors. You brace the core because when that pause is over, you're coming off the ball is snapped, yeah. and now you have to engage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, le- driving the chest into the bar so you don't get into what a, a good morning squat because that leverage will not give you effectiveness in, in drive blocking an athlete off the line of scrimmage. So I just think that you look at those things and you know that, okay, I, this is what I know, this is what I don't know. How can I, how can I absorb those types of people within? And a, a lot of it's going to be based on how many people you can hire. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, and then if you don't have that, 
then you have to have your go-to, like I call it, your outside influencers and your go-to yeah. guys that are, right. you've built enough relationship with people. I mean, like when I was at Arizona State, Daryl Eto was at API, which is now Exos, and Brandon Marcello, API, which is now Exos. Yeah. You know, Daryl come over once a week for professional development. Nice. And Daryl was, was doing that. I mean, talk about a guy who was looking to learn things from other genres or domains based off of his expertise yeah i mean when he was going to massage school in salt lake city in 1999 and on his day off he would come and watch us train at at the u when i was at the university of utah so i don't remember i think for some reason i think it was like thursdays was like their reading day or their study day and he'd come over and watch us train in the summer man i mean so it's it's you know and i and i believe that you know what you know you know what you don't know you know what you need to know and then you know what you really don't care to know like there's right. so much stuff out there uh the the younger coach is being bombarded yeah. with information and you got to pick what you really want to be good at yeah uh I, I like i told you know my son wants to be a strength coach i mean you got to find your like and i talk about it, it's the law of the niche yeah what's going to be that one thing on your resume that's going to resonate with the person that's hiring saying i need somebody like this yeah. i was just talking to um one of my colleagues last night his, his son is going to pursue registered dietitian and sports nutritionist certification yeah. he's talking about the rounds it's like going to med school you got to take yeah, yeah. multiple internships sit for this course get a master's sit yeah. for this test but in the end how much value is he going to have as a strength coach right. with that with that next to his name right. or or a strength coach with a pt background or i mean or right. a sports psych i mean yeah. there's so many different cool things out there what is yeah. going to separate you because you would think everybody's going to should be pretty level at programming should be Um, what's your recommendation then so do do you kind of look at where the trends are or do you you got to go with your heart and do what you're passionate about i think it's both i mean you definitely have to go with the trends out are because you don't want to be left behind right the the thing with the trends now are people jumping the gun so fast and they're going all in and then they're not utilize I mean it's just hard like I, I like to have like sarcastic truth to a lot of sometimes I say things it's you know like I, well, like when we're talking about readiness app and I really believe you have to be the number one readiness app right, right. I mean that com- I don't think out of all the thing that's going technology communication is critical yeah. I think anybody who uh, utilizes their 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 platform as someone that wants to educate coaches. N- no matter what happens, analytically, uh, what are the technology-based yeah. things? The end of the day, a robot is not going to replace the communication of two human beings. Right. Body language is easy to read. If you if you've been around a weight room and you've been around sports long enough, so I think it's it's that midline, and you have to find the right person who's able to communicate that back. Yeah, uh, people, the the personality. There's a lot of things about personality fits too. Yeah. Um, because you're you, as much as you want to think that you're going to have a hundred percent 
batting average or with a thousand batting average yeah. with every athlete that comes in your room there's no way right. it's not happening happen. no matter how there's just certain things that just don't fit yeah and you've got to have those types of guys on your staff or those types of women on your staff who can fill that void yeah. and hopefully their relationship with the athlete can help bridge your relationship with the athlete yeah. and i've had that happen i think that's why if you are in a, a good situation that you have former athletes who want to be coaches in, in your specific genre or domain whether it be an o-line coach or a strength coach or a, a hitting coach or you know something to that to that effect that if if you can get them on your staff they can help bridge the gap sometimes with kids you're having trouble with because yeah. they can explain um, hey I, I know why you're you, you're upset yeah. we've all been there but just but believe in the you know you know you hear Alabama talks about the process we heard about the process last night yeah. in in the uh, keynote speaker's speech yeah. you just got to embrace that process and and know that if you have the right people supporting you your athletes will find their way and you cannot get overly critical of of a relationship gone bad because you have to look in the you have to look at yourself first and always and you may never have a good relationship with somebody it just no one's a hundred percent and people have their opinions and you know, you have a lot of things that go on. You know, you know, we talk about it. And I'm sure you'll bring it up. You know, the the social media stuff that right. just right. goes crazy. And I've gotten to, hey, I've gotten myself caught up, and I'll learn a valuable lesson. We can, we you know, we can chat on that later. But I just think that you have to find. I always say this, especially in this day and age. Regardless of how opinionated you are, and you could be so far to the left. And the person you're debating with can be so far on the right, it's somewhere in the middle. In the end, it's always somewhere in the middle. Now, it may favor you a little bit more, or it may favor him a little bit more. But in the end, it's always in the middle. It's just like you wear an Apple Watch or you do GPS. You're never going to utilize everything that's available with these products. So you have to figure out, you know, there's nine, you know, I'm just making a number up. 9,000 metrics you could probably get off of the GPS accelerometer, yeah. but then realistically, you might only need 10. Yeah. So why are you looking at the other, you know, 8,990 right. when that's it's irrelevant to the abilities of you dissecting what you need versus just to say, oh, well, I looked at, you know, 9,000 metrics. Yeah. And where did it get you? Right. Because right. how do you have enough time? That's my thing is it's yeah. the time stuff. Yeah. Your investment you can have all these cool stuff. Hey, I got all this and that. Uh, I got this uh, data analyzation for squad. I got this unit for speed. And then at the end of the day, when are you looking yeah, at all this right, stuff? Right. How do you take that all and put it into something usable? Um, it's tough, man. And, 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 and that's where you see, like, in football now, you know, they got analysts. They got right. recruiting this. They don't do anything but, you know, watch tape. You got social media. This, I need the best social media person out there to run our t- Twitter feeds. Right. And it's just a, it's, it's, it's becoming a more and more and more people involved. Yeah. And that's harder to manage. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about, like, assistance and 
you know, hiring people that fill in your weak spots. But what what are just what are like some general characteristics or traits of, that you're looking for in assistant coaches, even interns too? I mean, well, the first thing is can you can you follow directions of the application process? I I know one year I actually sent out a follow up email of all the things that occurred wrong so that some people may figure out, well, why didn't I get a shot? Like, okay, and this was even goes back to Arizona State when we went from strength and conditioning department to sports performance, when we were one of the first universities to just kind of follow like the sports med- athletic training, the sports medicine. We, and a lot of that was because athletes' performance was across the street. Sure. That was an interesting title. Yeah. And we were like, okay, well, they're dealing with individual athletes. We're dealing with teams. We'll, we'll, we'll sports performance, and it kind of fit the sports medicine. Yeah. It just kind of fit a good direction. So in 2003, we presented this to the athletic director when we were rebuilding the strength and conditioning staff, and he was all in. And we became, I believe, we might have been the first department that was called sports performance. The biggest thing is details because people laugh when I say stupid things I've done with interns, but it's a test. If you can't do the simplest tasks, how am I going to give you a team and tell you to write a program? So we would, we would get things. First of all, like, uh, I had an assistant, Cheyenne Petrie was a gentleman. You send in stuff that says Ms. Petrie. And get you're done. You're yeah. not even getting looked at. Yeah. That you didn't even check to see. Hey, Cheyenne's an interesting name. Right. Is it a male or a female? Yeah. How do I address? Yeah. How do I address this? We our titles were very very specific when you looked at the job boards at Arizona State. You, we had assistant coach sports performance. We had coaching assistant sports performance. You could get knocked out of a job by. Putting, hey, I'm applying for the assistant strength and conditioning coach at Arizona State when you were co- when you were applying yeah, yeah. for the coaching Which assistant, big difference. sports yeah. performance yeah, coach yeah. at Arizona yeah, State. Yeah. You're out. Yeah, you're out. Yeah. And I've done. I mean, I, I'm sure I've done it. But there was times when I was applying for jobs where, back then, you're doing things on typewriters. Yeah. Before yeah, you know, yeah. and you're sending out multiple cover letters to people. And you're putting them in envelopes and you're like, damn, is the right coach's name. And you're ripping open envelopes to check. I mean, I don't know how many times I've done that. You know, just, but people, you know, uh, you get one, hey, Coach Caulfield, uh, Coach Caulfield never worked here. Or or they're sending it to the old old coach that was there before you. So the, the attention to detail right from the beginning, you know, if I, if I ask, like, here's some of the mistakes we get now, because we ask for three video, three exercise technique videos of your choice of you coaching an athlete. Okay. We'll get three exercises of you coaching yourself. Yeah. We'll get the videos backwards or upside down. Right, right. You're out. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter how good a coach yeah. you you didn't do what we asked. Right. Yeah. You know, it's uh yeah, you know, no phone calls please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, no no additional responses. Yeah. We you know, th- that just starts the whole. That just that helps me out. 
Because yeah. if I get 120 resumes at a university for a university job, yeah. 60 are getting screened out right. for right. for just simple mistakes that you didn't pay attention to detail. Yeah, yeah. So I, personality is is huge, and I don't talk, and I'm top talking about the over the top hype show. Right. I, uh, I understand you have to be have some juice. I think I have juice, but from a and and you know how I feel sometimes about our field and using the term professional. Sometimes it's we're not very professional and right. I think we are we have to watch what's happening now with the hype show that's a lot of it's social media, yeah. a lot of it's the the way the athletes are being coming up through high school that a lot of the expectations of the sport coach for the strength coach now is you're like a glorified cheerleader. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that to disrespect anybody. I understand that's part of some of the jobs now. Right. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be exuberant and I'm not saying you shouldn't be excited, but there's certain, you know, there's certain things that we have to kind of keep an eye on, I think. Yeah. And that, that's a tough one for me because I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm a little bit of both. Like I can get real excited, but not over, yeah. over the top. I, I mean, I get excited as anybody. A guy hits yeah. a PR or scores a touchdown, but yeah. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't. There's a place. There's a place for it's, it. It's too. getting tough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and there, but there are some guys that that's truly part that's the thing is if you know some of them are truly that right. they're just that's their that's, that's the their they that's they are yeah, yeah. but yeah, then yeah. there's some that if you can just tell it's and then what happens is when it's not really an innate part of you yeah. it's hard to maintain that for a long period of time yeah, for sure just like i learned you know think it's important that you address your team when when necessary but you continue to address just because you feel like you have to address them, yeah. what's going to happen? They're going to tune you out. Yeah. So you have to be well aware of that. And like I call it small doses of excellence. Yeah. <laughs> have a short window before these guys, they want to hear what you got to say, but they want to work. They, right. All right, coach, we, we let's go. Yeah. Let's train. Yeah. All right, boom. Give yeah. me my, and I even talk about that with some of our vets when we're training. Yeah. Uh, hey, I need... This, just give me small doses of excellence. Just yeah. give me 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give me 20 today after practice, yeah. you know. And so I think you have to look at it from a, a, a solid personality. Can they work with you? How, how, what is their background from the standpoint of, and I, and I learned a lesson with my, in a hiring coach. If they have truly, truly strong opinions and they've already got to that point in their career where they're, their training philosophy and their training beliefs are set and yours is this way, mm. they're not going to conform to you yeah. and you're not probably going to conform, get them to conform to what you want because right. they're going to be, oh, I think my way is better. Right. Well, guess what? Go, you go run yeah. your own program. Yeah. That's how they so, but you get, but you hire people because someone recommended them and sometimes you win. Like I, I've come to the conclusion now with with hiring processes and evaluate hiring processes, the the comfortable choice isn't necessarily the correct choice. Yeah, and I think a lot of times because of human nature, you you tend to fall to the comfortable choice sure. a lot of times, sure. and a lot of that comfortable choice is people you believe in recommend somebody and you overlook some yeah. of the things that pop up in an interview process because man these are these dudes have like 
jumped on the table for this guy. Yep. What am I missing? You know, and then, and, and sometimes it's, again, it's the comfortable choice isn't necessarily the correct choice. I think right. you have to go through your due diligence if, if a job is open and you don't have somebody that you've worked with before, yeah. you and then then the you know depending on their their willingness to learn, their willingness to believe in a program and a system, yeah. you know I think that it'll be interesting to see where this the dynamics of college strength and conditioning go as far as like we were talking about this a little bit too where I, I believe the multi-sport strength coach of yesteryear mm-hmm. has a lot more capability of coaching yeah. like the on the floor meat and potatoes viewing coaching because of all the diverse things they've seen from working with multiple sports right. I think it the, I don't know how to word it yet. I've talked to Bob Alejo about this, and I'm, there's some people probably out there that have a better conceptual way of of saying it and doing the the research right, right, behind what I'm right. saying. But it, it goes back to this. It's the same principle that everybody talks about, and you see all these, hey, uh, out of 1,000 NFL players, 900 played multiple sports right, as right, a youth. Right. Yeah. There's something to be said about tra- training multiple disciplines yeah. in your in your growth growth as an athlete yeah, yeah. i think there's a lot to be said about that as being a quality strength coach yeah. you, you get it you get into the strength coach era now you're isolated into one sport yeah and you can easily and, be and, that i mean all the way through yeah, yeah. and yeah. what happens then is you have no diversity to go anywhere else right that's why i think if you're in a position where you are a strength and conditioning coach you need to be involved in an olympic some olympic based program where you're going to work with several sports yeah Uh, if you're you know like my my big thing that i liked when we were at arizona state is we were that and i always had planned of attack when you talk about hiring like where did certain people fit for sports right like you knew right. the ju- you know this person would fit good with this coach yeah which means if they fit together the athlete right. and and one of my big one of my big thoughts was from a development of getting coaches prepared to be head strength and conditioning coaches at a university which meant your lead sports going to probably be football yeah. at this time was i thought the best sport to prepare you for that was to be the head strength and conditioning coach for track and field because the numbers were high there's multiple disciplines aka positions you're going to have to deal with some adversity because in most of those situations the throw coach is going to be the strength coach for the throwers so you got to learn that you you may have a relationship you may not i mean i've seen it both could be good or bad yeah Yeah. i mean and it's going to be and you're going to make that decision yeah I think it's going to be, and that's something that my, that's my job to educate you on. Like those are some of the, like, I call certain things like non-negotiables. Yeah. Yeah. And you're interviewing for a job and they're bringing those things up and they're going, well, what do you, do you have any issues with the throw coach being the strength coach for the track and field throwers? Right. You can't. Right. That's a non-negotiable. You can't say You're not winning it. Right. And then, you know, like the other one that I always said, even to this day is, 
the if the if the football coach has a specific way he wants to run his mat drill program, yeah. that's that that's a non-negotiable. Right, right. I I look at it like that's an easy for eight sessions. Yeah, yeah. What do you want, coach? How do you want it run? Right. What's my role? What what are the expectations? Yeah. Let's let's do this. Yeah. Now. If they say we, what is your, you know, if you work together and you plan it out, and I've been, I've been on, I've been on all the different ways of doing it, but that yeah. to me is, hey, coaches know how they want to build their team. Right. Uh, again, it goes back to whether that's the one one time a year where throw everything else out. This is part of the way they think they have to build their team. It's their team. Right. They're giving right. you your clients. You're the support staff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out there and do the best I can, and then hopefully we can discuss how can we make it better. Yeah, uh, that's that's the that's and that's a tough part because I've it goes back to what the the goals and the implications and the objectives of a mat drill program is. A lot of times it's competitiveness, mm-hmm. uh, building a com- camaraderie. Yeah. Uh, Teamwork, yeah. diligence, resiliency—all the thing, all the adjectives that coaches lump up into what is yeah. considered mental toughness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like to use all the adjectives yeah. <laughs> separately because, in truth, if you're running drills to compete, the technique and the efficiency of movement is probably not going to be desirable right, than if right. you were trying to prep for a combine drill. Yeah, yeah and yeah. that's why. I, I always felt that two days a week of the of the running program were two days of the week where I would tell coaches, you don't want to be out here. Yeah. You're not going to like what you see. There's a lot of rest, yeah. not a lot of volume, yeah. a lot of teaching. Yeah. On conditioning days, you can come out because right. <laughs> we're just, you know, for yeah. the, you know, we're running around, yeah. we're making yeah. them sweat, yeah. and we're hoping that what we taught them on Mondays and yeah. Fridays carried over to the competitive yeah. events. Yeah. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But right. in the end, you can teach the pro agility all day long. But now, if you're in a competitive situation in your mat drill program, and it's me versus you, and I win, I get a point for my team, and you win, you get a point for your team. You may not run it the way right. it needs to be run for. Yeah. Your fastest time. You're just right. trying to run it to beat, to beat me. You. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that you know. But getting back to yeah, I, the coaching hires and you know, do they understand the commitment? Yeah. Um, do do they have a significant other? Do they understand the commitment? Right. More importantly, right, right. and uh, you know, I uh, I always thought that. Tell me what you know. Like I said, I'll teach you the rest. I just need to know where you're coming in at, and then we can build from there. Because under my regime, we were everything was going to be an umbrella approach. Yeah. The the artistic freedom you got was from the creativity of your knowledge and how it would fit into our templated and terminology. Like I had a specific, like I was a big Prilipin chart guy. Yeah. But if you did not believe in that, I really didn't care. If you were Prilipin or not, I just wanted to, we were going to say 70, 80% is basic strength. Yeah. So I, when we would meet as a, as a staff, I'm in a basic strength phase. And then yeah. everybody in the room would be know where we're right. training between 70 and 80% this month. Whether you did three sets of five or I did eight sets of two Prilipin, yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. Uh, 
what some people would call a shrug pull, some people call a jump shrug. No, what what are we what are we calling this yeah. exercise? Yeah. So that it was interchangeable and that even though I may have never coached your sport, that if something should happen and you missed a day, I could look at your card yeah. and not have any questions yeah. of what is this, what is that? Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah. Everything. So the terminology, That's the big. structure was the same, but you may like to do exercises I don't. Right, right. And if it if you could justify why you were putting it in an exercise for the sport and why you saw the advantages were, I'm not going to say no. Right. I mean there was you know, I I have a we had certain there was a certain couple like I was not a big at that point in time in my career I did not really want to see most of our athletes snatch. Yeah. For whatever reasons it, too long to go into but that was like a hey i prefer no snatches okay especially because none of us were none of the people on my staff at that time were legitimate olympic weightlifters yeah. Yeah, yeah i thought that we didn't have a fundamental sound teaching process of you know i think too many people with jerks and snatches were not developing the shoulder girdle from a strength standpoint yeah. and i think that's where a lot of issues lie with those two movements with athletes not yeah. olympic weightlifters I, I preferred any athlete that the hand was was very very important in their sport. Pitchers, yeah. tennis, golf. I'd rather you not have them catch a clean. Yeah. You know, just little things like that. Yeah. That that was just just made just common sense. Right. Right. Like for you to say I'm going to clean a tennis player. Yeah. I, I have a problem with that. I mean, I don't know if you can justify that to me. Yeah. I think you can do a lot of other things to elicit the same type of triple extension yeah. response. Right. So th those are things that you you find out. And then again, you don't know. I mean, you, you've seen it just as well as anybody. Yeah. Uh, person go in there and kill the interview. Right. And then you don't, you get them and you're like, it's not the same person. That's yeah. why I think there's, there's some merit into doing certain things. Like I've heard in the last... Last two months, I know two people have interviewed for jobs where the coaches made them coach. Yeah, in their interview, like a live interview. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was interviewed that way. Yeah. So there's merit in that. Yeah, yeah. And it, because a lot of times, you know, good quote was said. You know, a lot of times strength coaches are interviewed with uh, some type of presentation in a, in a three-piece suit. Right, right. When are they ever going to be in yeah. a presentation in three-piece suit with your athlete? Right. right. So I think there's a lot of, to me, it's a lot less about the pure purity of your strength and conditioning experience yeah. as it more as what it, what you have as an advantage as a person. Yeah. All the other and things. And then if you, you do, ha and then if I do need a very specific, yeah. like to me, and this is where I talk to my old, my youngest son about, or any, I think, and I don't. Again, it's hard, you know, one of the things that I think is a hidden gem for people getting into strength and conditioning is, is a competitive collegiate background experience in athletics. Yeah. And not because I think it makes you any better of a coach, but I do know as a former athlete and listening to athletes when I first got hired, the respect level is a little bit more credible because they know you went through what they're going through. Yeah. Right. 
whether you're a, or, or a thrower that's coaching a football player, you were a college athlete, yeah. you had to go through some type of BS of yeah, right, right. all that stuff. Conditioning or, test. Whatever yeah, I mean, it whatever be. it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that is, there's, there's some merit in that. The, the funny thing is in this day and age that the, the, the career is, is just blown up that it amazes me how many people that don't have that type of background who want to be strength and conditioning coaches. I'm like, yeah. where would you ever even think about being a strength coach right. when I'm looking at your, the back, your background and I'm like, where's this, where's this, where did you come up with this? Yeah. 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 You know, I just, it's funny. Right. Well, and you, um, another thing that you talked about a couple of times we've alluded to is training and you've been training since you were in high school. You just competed in another powerlifting meet at age 50, 51, <laughs> 50 plus. Uh, and, you know, we talk about training a lot, you and I, and and still training and trying to train hard. And, how you know, talk about the importance of that alone and why, you know, why that's such a huge piece of the puzzle. Because I think a lot of people maybe don't miss that, but aren't understanding the, that as well. I, I th again, it's my opinion, I reserve the right to be wrong, but I think it's hard for you to ask an athlete, or in some cases demand an athlete, and you not practice what you preach or lead from the front or just show some type of commitment to fitness. Right. <laughs> I don't care if I even tried to clean up my diet to yeah. that point. I'm not going to have a six pack. Yeah. I'm not going to be shredded. Right. But I, I enjoy, I mean, there's a reason why I'm a strength coach. Yeah. I enjoy the process. I, I enjoy just the work. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's not a grind for me. Like, oh, I'm on that grind. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, I love being in here, man. Right. I, I'm like, I, if I knew, if I knew you can't be in here too long cause I'm going to break down, I'd be in there longer, right. but I know I got a kind of magic window. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a daily part of just being, we, we have to, we are an energy based profession career. Right. We have to, we, you know, it's when a, when a kid walks in, we can't be down if they're down. We have to be, and I'm not, again, I don't, I'm not yeah. talking about, we've, we've, we, it's hard for us to have a bad day. Yeah. And one way you can alleviate more bad days than none or less bad days in a year is by feeling good about yourself and, and yeah. the commitment to exercise and health. Yeah. And for me in particular, I, I enjoy the process of chasing something. I took a, a friend of mine who was kind of a, my coach when I was in college and I'd come home for the summers when I did come home or during break. You know, he was the first one that told me when I told him it's over, man, I'm done playing ball. It's not going to work out. He's like, you got it. And he was a power lift. You got a power lift. You got a power lift. And I'm like, I'm not even strong. It's not even about that. It's yeah. about you're not done competing. You're not done. Yeah. And this was what, 1989. I did my first uh, full three lift meet in 1990. And this year I did a deadlift. You know, I try to do deadlift meet because yeah. that's about the only thing I'm capable of doing competitively. <laughs> so, and, and again, because of how I grew through the sport of powerlifting and, you know, 
I could have done that in the gym. Right. But it holds a little bit more credibility to me personally, not yeah. to anyone else, right. to me personally, yeah. that I did it in a competitive setting. Yeah. I think it, it, it makes, because if I don't do that meet, I probably don't pull 500 this year right. because my right. window of how my training had progressed, yeah. it was like now or never. Like yeah. if I don't do this meet yeah. and try to get into one in April, this is, it's not going down because it's like you learn when you read books like The Gift of Injury. You have, yeah. I'm not, you know, you have to re, you have to reload the, you have to deload the reload. Yeah. Yeah. And it was to that point where if you look at my numbers in my charts, it was going to that point like, yeah. okay, man, the big crescendo is coming, right. and if you don't hit this, you may not hit yeah. it again for a while yeah. because you're just not going to be able to maintain right. that that level of intensity. So I just, you know, like anything else, I don't, I'm not saying you got to compete. I'm just saying you got to do something yeah. active that your athletes know that you're not just telling them to do something that you're not willing to do. Like I would love to do some of the cool athletic things that I see my athletes able to do. Or yeah. uh, like, like today when we were watching some of the yoga flow with a kettlebell yeah. Yeah, yeah. that Sam was doing, I'm watching that thinking, God, yeah. man, I, there, there's. Right. I mean, just right. the little stuff he was showing us, yeah. I was like, I was struggling with it. I'm yeah. watching this dude, you know, going to yeah. crawl, look easy, yeah, crossover yeah. lunge to side yeah. bend press, yeah. right in a swing to a snatch to yeah. a rotational overhead press. And I'm yeah. like, like almost like he was dancing. It was right. that smooth. Right. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you watch that stuff online, you know, the guys with the kettlebells at the Indian clubs, and you're like, yeah, yeah that's impressive. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm a dead. I can only stand in right. line and. <laughs> And pick something up. So it's. I think it. I think it's important in our in our profession. Yeah. And I think you can't you can't let yourself get too far away from not being in some type of condition. Right. I mean, I think right. that your athletes expect that. You, if you want them to believe in you, you've got to believe in yourself from the standpoint of. You know, it's easy to talk about training to an athlete if you're training yourself. Yeah. Like I'm a big kinesthetic guy. Like a lot of the things that I do when I teach guys at cueing is that's why I like to be under the bar. And I and again, my my domain is the weight room. Right. I can talk about like the different feel. Like I I know what it, I know the difference between back squatting, box squatting, box squatting with chains box squatting with bands it's four different movements yeah. and you can't say oh i know no you don't know right. unless you've trained and i'm not talking yeah. about trial and error or experiment and i'm talking yeah. about you went through dynamic effort cycles or yeah. circumax cycles with multiple band tensions and yeah. chains and see the difference of a strain because right. i'm gonna tell you you get the right band tension on yeah. and you ain't coming correct you're getting hurt yeah yeah so that's that's another reason I just think there's, you know, training around your your at this point in your career. I mean, you're you're a master's age lifter now too. Yeah. You have to train around your compensation excuse me compensation patterns. Yeah. You yeah. Uh, as much as you're doing things to try to fix them, right. it's it's hard to fix things that you've been doing for thirty years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, those are those are tough. And but I, if I did. As much as I learned today that I still got a lot to go with some of that movement and mobility stuff, if I would have been doing the things that I do today, mobility-wise, I probably never would have had the back injuries right. that I had in the, in the mid-90s. Yeah. And who knows where my 
powerlifting numbers would have right. would have become if I didn't have to continue to work. Like even it that it doesn't matter if you've had a debilitating back injury. And I, I mean, I can't talk. I mean, like I said, I'm reading the gift of injury and you're reading Brian Carroll's story and you're like, man, this dude, yeah, he was to me he, and he's yeah. a boss that the yeah. fact that he can't feel his legs and he's right. deadlifting 800 right. and I've never, that's my subtotal, you know, right. it's like right. guy squatted 1100 pounds. I think my best subtotal was like 1050, yeah. you know, I'm yeah, like, yeah. come on, dude, what's up? <laughs> um, you know, I just think that, but I, but every time I get under a bar yeah. or get to a deadlift, I'm like, man, you better lock it in. Cause you, right. this could be the one where you go down again, <laughs> you get that little. And I think that's sometimes where I've missed lifts in the gym because the, the lift before was a little strenuous yeah. and I'll get under there and I'm like, yeah, I know. And then I'm like, ah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah, give you it that know, one quick you know little tug and it's like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the biggest difference now is you go, I go through my warm ups, and even though the script says this, I'm not doing that today. Yeah. It's just yeah. not happening. Well, that's what you've talked about. You call it your tortoise method. Yeah, right? tortoise training. Like, man. Tortoise training. Live the like, fight another day. Yeah. Like, that's why you're still lifting at 51. Yeah, and, and I spread it out. Like, it's a long, it's kind of like programmable conjugate. Like, I know, I, I've never. Even when I was, it was very hard for me. And I give, that's why I give those guys tremendous credit from their mental, the mental uh, side of their max effort days yeah. is the fact that they could just walk in the gym and like flip a coin and say, here's what we're doing today. Right. I could, I just couldn't do that. Like I do it now in my upper body because I don't care what I do for my upper body. Yeah. But like for me, like my squatting and my deadlifting stuff, that's yeah. kind of programmed out now really long stretches like i might do not do a deficit deadlift but like once every four and a half weeks yeah. but it's coming yeah it's not like i'm gonna walk in and say okay i'm doing deficit deadlift today and then the next day i'm doing i like yeah. i know as i got closer to that meet i would i did i kind of condensed down some of my stuff where i did a dynamic effort deadlift session eight days later i did a Two, a one-inch deficit, yeah. dynamic effort, one-inch deficit, and then I went dynamic effort, pull a, some fives and a triple. No, I did a max effort Then I, from a one-inch, then I did some fives and a triple, did a dynamic effort. I did a wagon wheel, so like a four-inch block, yeah. a partial deadlift, and then I did a dynamic day, and then there was this meeting. I was like, hey, I talked to my wife, said, look, I, I got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and went to the meet and had a strong lift but yeah. yeah the the so i call it like an organized conjugate because there is a lot of variation and i'm not but it's also has it has some linear periodization because i right. follow percentages on my squats so there's some of that from a and i, I follow prilipin's chart you're doing more conditioning a nowadays. lot more conditioning yeah. i don't i don't I, I prefer not to, but it's almost imperative that I don't lift back-to-back -back days. Yeah. yeah. Um, just don't. I don't. If I do, it's probably going to be like a BS little upper body yeah. pump sesh, but I would prefer not to have to lift back-to-back -back days. Yeah. And I, so like my programming goes, I have four sessions in a micro cycle, but they go into a second week. So if I... I train Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, 
that's one week. Yeah. Then the next Thursday starts my B week. So then it goes Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, yeah. and then the following Tuesday may match the Tuesday yeah. 16 days ago. Okay. Yeah. And and like I said, I use uh, upper right now since I came off that meet. I'm actually doing. I'm just finishing a month of tier system stuff. But even then, I'm kind of wrote like even though tier one may be a squat. It might not be the same squat. I'm yeah, just yeah. going to squat. And so I'm finishing up a month of tier system. Then I'll go back to my tortoise training stuff. And I use the tier system to just look at some different tempo and different exercises of how they may fit into the rotation of the tortoise training. Yeah. I think I'm going to do, I'm, I'm very conscious on squatting. Like I'll put a loose belt on a lot earlier than okay. I need because I want to feel that cue for the brace because yeah. that's how I, I, I herniated three discs in my yeah, back yeah. squatting. So I'm very, yeah. but I do a lot of front loaded safety squat bar, like right. front squats and that loading parameter, the way it, I feel a little bit more comfortable without a belt. Yeah. So like I'm working on, I'll probably work on a little bit more beltless, long pause front squats yeah. where I can keep the load down, but really keep the time under tension and rigidity in the full in the full depth position of what my full depth yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. So it can help more ability to lift the deadlift bar off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So those are things I worked on. I worked on high pocket snatch. I think the snatches, even though I don't go a tremendous amount of weight. I pretty right. much train between 50 and 70 kilograms. I think that dynamic extension really helps, helped my lockout in the deadlift. Yeah. I think nice. there was, I think there was some carryover. Yeah. Plus the way I do it, cause the loads are fairly light and I'm trying to stay as competent as possible in my technique. I always set the rest intervals pretty dynamically based on Louis's model. So yeah. I may do 15 singles with a 45 second turn. So I'm getting yeah. some metabolic conditioning yeah. Yeah. demands into it. So I like it from that standpoint. And that's why I like when I do my dynamic effort deadlift, I'll do 15 singles on a 45 second turn. Yeah. You know, it, when I talked to Matt Wenning about this, even, even though with a bigger guy, I try to stay on the minute when I'm doing my dynamic effort box squatting, yeah. just to continue to build that, that, that power capacity. Yeah. 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 Now you, um, you mentioned that getting that article, getting the feedback from Harvey. I mean, you've had so many different things that you've done getting published in SCA, we talked about you getting involved as a student, um, and we've talked about presenting, right? And uh, we we joke around that, you know, obviously not going to get rich as a presenter at an NSCA conference. Everybody gets paid the same. It goes along that same same thing. We have standards and guidelines, and this is what happens. But um, you, you also have talked, we've talked offline about how it's giving back. You know, you're not doing... You're not speaking at the national conference just to um, just to have your name up there. You're giving back to the profession. You know, giving a chance for young coaches to meet you. That you're talking about. You know, your 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 fired presentation. The information that you're giving out at those things serves a purpose greater than just you talking. I I think I've come to that time and. You know, everybody has different paths. You know, I talk a lot about success versus significance. It's a book by 
Bob Buford halftime. You know, you're climbing that first half of your life in your career. Your success is dominating it. You know, I want to be this. I want to make that. And then you hit that crossroads where, yeah, now what? Now I'm at that point where if I can make any type of significant impact, not only not only in professional but in my personal life too, I think I'm at. That's where I'm at. I mean, I've been successful, uh, and and the tough thing with sports is we always have to continue to be successful because right. we we are measured by wins and losses. Yeah. But significance is the ability to. And again, we were laughing about a couple of the comments that I got back from the. Yeah. presentation I'm not you're not winning everybody over I'm not yeah. going I mean Tony Robbins doesn't win everybody over you, yeah. you know those the fit you know those those high level motivational speakers don't win everybody there's always skeptics yeah. but I, I'm at that point in my career where I think I need to do a, to give more back in the terms of the livelihood of what can occur and not always the, oh, I ran out of the tunnel at the Super Bowl, you know, or I ran out of the tunnel at the certain, certain, certain bowl. And I was on the sideline with these guys because that's what people see. They don't see you getting fired. They don't see you taking another job and your kids don't see you for six months while your wife's at home. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, my wife's packed up seven times. I've never moved. I've never moved. Yeah. I've left for other jobs, but I've never moved. You know, that's somebody else doing that stuff. And you got to remember that. And that's why I think the, one of the things that my wife, you know, you got to have good support, but like when I was doing the, you're fired speech and we were talking about family and we were talking about, Hey, when you walk in the door, I don't care what kind of day you had. (laughs) I don't care how tired you are. You can't just slug out. Right. You got responsibilities, yeah. and that's and that's the that's a big deal that you got to know. Just like if you have a significant other, they chose this with you. Right. Your kids didn't choose this. Yeah. So it's, you have to you have to educate them a little bit. They have yeah. to understand that this is the the nomadish yeah. life that we could leave. Yeah. Uh, no different than uh, in children in the military. Right. And like I tell, sometimes I've had to tell my kids, hey man, it could be, you could be overseas. Yeah. You're old enough to be overseas. You, it, it ain't all that bad. Yeah. You got kids your age fighting for our freedoms right. and you're worried about moving? Yeah. Or, and, I, and I get it. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, I, I never, I mean, I lived my whole life in one spot till yeah. I went to college. Yeah. So, and again, I, I look at it from a standpoint, if somebody's going to give me a platform, then I, I, I deserve, not deserve, you, what I mean is the the clinicianer or the individual who's going to invest that hour, that hour and a half that I'm going to present, you deserve my best foot forward. Yeah. And what do I think is necessary for you to hear based off my experiences, 30 yeah. years experience? Yeah. Watched it, you know, I came in pretty close to the beginning. Yeah. You know, 1988 or 1989 was still only 10 years old. Yeah. Strength, being a strength coach. Yeah. And then you go through the 90s and now you're seeing the evolution of the strength coach as the department all with all to now every coach in America wants their own strength coach. Right, right. Where I think that's where it's headed. Yeah. I really believe, I mean, not that I'm a super fan of, 
you know, certain things. But I really believe at some point, the way this thing is headed, the NCAA, they're going to mandate where every sport can add another coach. That coach is the off the field conditioning, performance, whatever you call them. You set the salary, you set the budget, you set if you have any extra duties you want them to do outside of being being a a strength and conditioning coach. And then you're going to have an athletic director who their job is going to be is to schedule the times for all the weight rooms. Yeah. If, unless the team's got enough money and they got enough they money at the school own. to build their own. Right, which plenty of them are starting to do. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just funny because, like, I just was talking to a, a former coach of mine who's taking another job, and every coach wants their strength coach to travel now. Yeah. <laughs> well, how's that going to happen if I got four Olympic sports? Right. right. What happens when they're on the road? And yeah. So that's the, 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 the dynamics have changed, and that's certain things you got to learn. That's certain things yeah. like that's why I've been trying to promote like if you get the opportunity to coach multiple sports early in your career, do it because yeah. it's not going to last. Right. And then you're only going to get that chance by working in the private sector. Yeah. And that and that's another thing that's changed. You know, work. When I first started out, if you were in the private sector, you were a personal trainer training general pop. Right. You can't say that anymore. Yeah. Private sector coaching is real. Yeah. You're not if you coach if you if you're in the private sector and you're working with athletes, you're not a personal trainer. You're not a you're a coach. Yeah. You're a, you're a preparation specialist or yeah. but you're not a, a trainer. Right. right. You're you're coaching. Yeah. And and that's and that's you know that's the Mike Boyles of the world, yeah. the Verstegans of the world, the Chip Smith. They created that for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those guys helped put that to the forefront. Like, hey man, there is a viable ability to make a career yeah. in non-university, professional, right. high school level setting, coaching athletes. Yeah. They put it on the forefront yeah. for us. And that's again, that's to me is certain things that people need to know the history. Like I, like you know just as well as I do. How many of these up-and-coming strength coaches really know who Boyd Epley is? Right. And there's a right. reason why I always make sure yeah. that he's brought up in a presentation that I do yeah. outside of X's and O's training. Yeah. I mean, how many people right. knew that a two-time Super Bowl champ was sitting in the front row right. in, at my presentation in January? Yeah. That the very first strength coach at Appalachian State and the Charlotte Hornets was sitting yeah. in the front yeah. row. I mean... Yeah. How do you you you, sh- you got to know those things? Right. Yeah. Did you even do you even know who that was? Right. It, it's amazing. Even even athletes, they don't even know who played certain positions 20 years ago. Yeah. How do you not know that? Yeah. No. So I think that it's important. I just I always felt giving back. Like even you know I'm, I was a pretty hard. I would say I was a hard manager. I'm probably better now as far as the some of the stupidity. I guess you would call it the things that I just, my wife always said it was like devil's wear is Prada working for me. But I always, I always had the confidence in myself to always be willing to allow my coaches to be them. Like, not like, yeah. hey man, you give them a lot of work. Well, how am I going to get them prepared for their opportunities right. if I'm just micromanaging? I mean, I managed, yeah. but I, I never, like, I never really looked at people's programs once we right. we got going. Like, I, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you some of the programs that were written at Arizona State by other strength coaches. Yeah. 
because I I believe that yeah. here's the template. Like it, here's what it is. Yeah. Go do what you do, man. I, I'll know you're doing a good job because these coaches aren't in here complaining. Right. 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 <laughs> now when they come in, then we got to rectify a problem. We got to yeah. build a solution. And I think that's why we've been successful where some of our people have moved on to head jobs and have been successful where they're at is you'd like to think that you gave them the tools to be themselves. And I never wanted to be the guy who said, when you leave, you got to do it my way. It was, here's, here's what I'm presenting to you. Create. If you think what something that I gave you can help you be successful, great. But in the end, I wanted you to be a free independent thinker and to look like, hey, look what we created. When I get my job, I'm going to do this. That's what what you want. You want somebody that, all right, I like this, I like that, I like this, but this is, because at the end, you got to have it in your heart to sell. I don't like to sell my, but to give it to your, your athletes know if it's genuine. And it's hard to be genuine, even even if you say, hey, I'm gonna do the tier system. If you're all in on the tier system, then you're genuine. But if you're like, right. oh, well, I'm doing it because right. these teams do it, yeah. that's not genuine. Yeah. You're just doing it because, oh, these teams are successful, I'm gonna do it. it ha- just like when the, it was what, the chains and bands went through, everybody's doing chains and bands, I gotta do chains and bands. Right. Right. And then it was the med ball stuff. Yeah. Everybody's doing med balls, everybody's doing BOSU ball, everybody's yeah. doing stability ball, everybody's doing uh, you know stability ball, dumbbell bench, stability ball right. this, and then, right. and then everything goes out the wayside and you've not developed your own, your own abilities to coach and your own programming and what happens is failure because you've not built any consistency so your kids can't get consistent. And I think those are things that if I can reiterate through speaking and just conversation, it needs to be heard because in this day and age, there's a lot of good information out there quality information whether i agree with it or not it's there's quality people are taking the time to put out quality information yeah. i want you to be able to decipher that information yeah, yeah. and know where it's coming from what, like i'm more worried about what those the people before me think yeah. than the people of now sure cuz I represent, I want them to feel like I have rec, I've respected them and I'm representing them in a, in the positive way. Yeah. 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 The younger, the younger guys, they have to find their own history. Right. They have to right. find who they want to represent. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, I wanted to, when I saw those guys in the front row, I'm like, I got a really, when I saw Mike Gentry, a guy that I've just admired, uh, would have loved to have worked for him numerous times yeah. I tried and it just never worked out yeah. for it doesn't matter I admire that man so much that when he's sitting in there and I'm presenting I've got to like yeah. this is it man you yeah. this you is your dude your dude yeah. is sitting yeah. in here Boyd Epley's in the back yeah. I mean that guy created a whole profession for you would right. where would you be without that dude right. right you can't you can't let these guys it's like yeah. you can't let them down yeah and at the same point you want to give a heartfelt presentation so that the younger people understand that it's not all about technology x's and o's data analytics it's about you and how your approach is going to be is going to be more important than any analytic you or feedback you get from a tendo unit or gym aware or something like that so i think that you get afforded a platform you find out what your 
you're passionate about and how you can express that from an enthusiastic or an emotional standpoint where people understand, hey, I don't agree with everything, but that that guy spoke from the heart. Right. Yeah. Or that guy's passion is he believes in that. And that's why I say I I much would rather go and hear something that I don't necessarily believe in with a guy with passion and just a wholeheartedly committed to his process than hear somebody go out there and just rattle off review of lits trying to get his point across that I ran this many regressions and it came out to be this with no emotion whatsoever. And there's people who want that. Yeah. I don't necessarily, I would prefer to hear something I might not agree with, with a guy with tremendous amount of passion because I would venture to think he'll he'll get me on something there'll be two or three things that he'll say that will resonate because it's just the way it's going to be yeah he'll connect with it somewhere along the line um cool well this has been tremendous we're coming up on uh two hour mark (laughs) we could keep rolling this into uh another one but we want everybody to be able to dissect this and and uh and process and be able to reach out to you now everybody that's listening uh best way what's what's uh best way to connect with you probably through the website www.bighousepower.com i don't even know you don't have to say w that's how old i am yeah. i don't think you need to say w the world wide web the world wide web the yeah. interwebs but uh yeah and you're all over social media yeah, big, big house, house power, power. so people yeah. will know we'll put all that in the show notes Follow us, uh, check in on the Instagram story. He's always on there, Twitter, barking at me if I'm, uh, if I'm giving him some reason okay, to. Okay, so here's, here's, how I, here's why I will end on social media, because me and Scott talk about this. Let's take social media for what it is. You can get your points across. Don't take everything so friggin' serious. And again, I, I, I will tell you this, this is a story. Sometimes social media and and just meeting a person first, maybe just once or twice, but you're social media followers and you comment back and forth on stuff. You think you've got a friendship or a relationship better than you do. And then you say something that tweaks him the wrong way. And then you realize he really doesn't know you and he doesn't know your kind of humor. And it could set off something that you you really don't want and yeah. I and that happened to me and I, I, I regret it it's my it's my mistake I, I regret it happened right. probably and again like Herm Edwards says don't press send <laughs> you know don't press tweet don't or things like great. that so but I mean like other times like some of the things that I that I read that gets debatable or how people interpret some of your comments calm, calm down yeah. I mean in the end that's one thing I'll tell Hey man, I'll I'll talk to you face to face. I don't have an issue. Right. I mean, I'm like I said, people that know me know I'm very opinionated, and yeah. I think I've earned the right to have my opinion, just like you've had to earn the right to have yours in some respects. Yeah. But let's just calm down with all this crazy <laughs> stuff that goes on on social media. I mean, I I've come to the, and I've told Scott, I'm like, hey man, half the things I say to you are just to cause comedic relief, and it's like yeah. these people are taking it so serious. Yeah. Like, golly. <laughs> Calm down, man. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So social media is a good outlet. It's kind of fun. I get it. 
but let's just just yeah. slow your roll Don't a little take bit. Take yourself on this. too damn seriously. Yeah, calm down. We're all, we're, <laughs> we're all life learners, and none of us have the right answers. So it's just the way it is. Well, great stuff. Appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, and, man, been uh, a lot. Should have been number one, but look for <laughs> a lot more people better than me that went before me. <laughs> all right, thanks, Coach. Yep, we'll see you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of NSCA's Coaching Podcast with Joe Ken. We have a bonus for you if you enjoyed this episode. It features about 25 minutes of Coach Ken and I talking about the tier system and his tortoise training system of how he trains himself. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow the link provided or check us out on iTunes or Google Play to get this extra bonus cut with Joe Ken. Thanks. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.